That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another exciting episode of Cryptique. I'm joined, as always, by a man whose girl says he only has two faults. One, he doesn't listen, and two, something else. Ryan, what's new? <laughs> wow, that's that's really accurate. I feel very seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That is, That's not bad, yeah. Have you, uh, I don't know if I brought this joke up to you before, but have you heard this before? You know, the whole, like, if a tree falls and there's no one to hear it, did it really make a sound? Mm-hmm. Have you seen the one where it's, if a man speaks his mind and there's no woman to hear it, is he still wrong? Yeah, I did see that one. <laughs> I almost busted that one out, too, but I don't know if my wife likes my body but there's a tiny part of me that says no (laughs) (laughs) all right so it's kind of early guys we're we're recording this in the morning and we're probably both still a little slap happy from waking up Um, dude i've been actually using a fitbit to track my sleep at night Mm -hmm. because i really don't know how much i sleep and it's not a lot it's about what i thought it's like five hours Mm. which you know that's because of a baby but before it was because of working a full-time job and having a bar and all this stuff so i'm kind of used to it but it's like man what would i be like on like a full eight hours the world may never know probably not (laughs) just like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a tootsie roll pop yeah they say three but yeah All right. Well, I guess that's really it for the intro. Do you want to tell them the business? Yeah, please like, subscribe, comment, rate, whatever you can do on your particular platform and share us with somebody you know. It's the best way for us to spread, as we always say. And you can check out our friends at Parabox. The link in the show notes below. You can check out the stuff we're hawking at crypticpodcaststore.com. You can find us on TikTok at cryptic underscore podcast, YouTube at cryptic podcast, and you can tell us how you feel about what we're saying at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. I did get an email from a gentleman. He kind of called us out on some comments that we made, which is fine because, you know, if we mess up, if we piss you off, email us. If we do something you love, email us, let us know. Um, I just wanted to make it clear because uh, this gentleman was a little, we were a little bit unclear in our stance, maybe on the second amendment. So I just wanted to put out there that we support the second amendment and it's all this argument over it is to me is kind of ridiculous because it just is what it is. You you can't change it. You can do other things. They might go in and be like, oh, well, now we're going to make triggers illegal, you know, or or something like that. But you can't touch the Second Amendment. Yeah, we kind of made fun of the idea that if you're 
a republic what was it if you're a republican you want to shoot everybody that's not our view that's that's the left's view yeah yeah there was somebody that i worked with at a previous job who i forget how it came up but we were talking about like security systems and home defense maybe there was like a break-in or something in her neighborhood something like that Mm -hmm. and you know i was like i I, yeah i have like one like security camera and i keep a revolver in my nightstand Mm -hmm. and she's like oh what are you one of those like gun lunatics right like no and she's like then why do you have a gun i was like because i'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it just on the off chance like i've never had to use it in anger before and it's like i mean this revolver's been through three generations of my family it's not like you know i'm trying to i'm not i'm not one of these like enthusiasts who's like building their own stuff and modifying them or anything like that and even in that case that's just a hobby right there's absolutely nothing wrong or illegal with it so right it's just one of these things where (laughs) if you have a weapon people think you're crazy yeah or, or a certain sect of people do. Well, you know, like you said, for you, shooting is therapeutic. And I'm sure it's like that for a lot of people. And you're not getting our guns. Stop. Just stop. It's not happening. I, I don't know how stupid they think we are, man. It's. I'm not confident in saying I understand your political stance. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm like Arlie Ermy from Mm -hmm. full metal jacket it's like they are all equally worthless Mm -hmm. i don't like either side (laughs) oh yeah i'm i'm with you and and it's sad i used to say that i'm that i'm kind of center leaning slightly left Mm -hmm. but everything is so extreme now i really don't know exactly where that puts me anymore yeah and I don't like any of the politicians. Like, mm-hmm. my parents watch a lot of Fox News. And I'm like, why do you do that? You're going to rot your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're like, well, what do you watch, CNN? It's like, no, I hate that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody's full of shit and everybody lies. Um, and that's even what I'm seeing when I'm doing some investigation into the third party is they're the same way. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's become a game of extremes. And I don't think that most people are extreme, but it's like you have to pick an evil to support. And and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just not. It's it's totally unacceptable, and I'm not putting my vote for the lesser of the two evils as if voting even mattered. But yeah, just wanted to put that out there. We we are definitely pro Second Amendment. So if you ever hear anything that we say that's anti Second Amendment, it is a joke. You should assume that most of what we say politically is a joke. <laughs> it, it's a lot of it's tongue in cheek and, and joking about because there's so much material. I mean, everything is out there. It is a target-rich environment out there right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're pro-Second Amendment. But what are we talking about tonight? We are talking about the diverse cast of alien races that are reported to exist out there. I've seen estimates of 37 different alien races within the Milky Way. And then I I heard a scientist on YouTube, and I I can't remember 
her name, but she's like, yeah, well, that's the estimate that people have done using, you know, a full chalkboard of mathematics. But it could be 150 million out there. We have no idea. And we are going to just kind of cover the ones that we, you know, that we hear about more often uh, on Earth anyway than they do maybe on other planets. So we're, we're just going to go kind of a rundown of what has been reported in pop culture through witness accounts through abductions and stuff like that. So you want to start us off? Nordic aliens are humanoid extraterrestrials alleged to come from the Pleiades. They are described as resembling Nordic Scandinavians with features such as long blonde hair, blue eyes, and fair skin. Contactees who claim to have encountered Nordic aliens describe them as being around six to seven feet tall. They also usually describe them as being pretty hot. George Adamski, the contactee from the mid-1950s, is credited with being among the first to claim contact with Nordic aliens. Scholars note that the mythology of extraterrestrial visitation often includes claims of telepathy, benevolence, and physical beauty when it comes to Nordic aliens. There is a recurring theme of these beings being described as Aryan in some accounts. Yeah, gotta watch that word. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the history. Cultural historian David J. Scal wrote that early stories of Nordic-type aliens may have been partially inspired by the 1951 film The Day the Earth Stood Still, in which an extraterrestrial arrives on Earth to warn humanity about the dangers of atomic weapons. Bates College professor Stephanie Kelly Romano described alien abduction beliefs as, quote, a living myth, and notes that among believers, Nordic aliens, quote, are often associated with spiritual growth and love and act as protectors for their experiencers, end quote. In contactee and ufology literature, Nordic aliens are often described as benevolent or even magical beings who want to observe and communicate with humans and are concerned about the Earth's environment or prospects for world peace. <laughs> prospects for world peace? Is that a joke? I mean, <laughs> we're concerned about your prospect for world peace because it's zero. Yeah. Everybody wants everybody fighting, so that's never going to happen. Believers also ascribe telepathic powers to Nordic aliens, and, you know, obviously we'll get into that with other aliens as well, but they describe them as paternal, watchful, smiling, affectionate, and youthful. During the 1950s, many contactees, especially those in Europe, claimed encounters with beings fitting this description. Such claims became relatively less common in subsequent decades, as the great aliens supplanted the Nordic in most alleged accounts of extraterrestrial encounters. And they're almost describing the Nordic aliens aside from physically, I guess, spiritually and intelligence and kind of wisdom comparisons to Yoda. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like a parent figure or something, or maybe like part of a race that maybe, you know, seeded the earth with intelligent life. Yeah, and, and I love that they're um, described as, in a lot of accounts anyway, 
as being able to kind of walk amongst us and we we don't notice them right like they may look a little different or whatever but they're described as six to seven feet tall well if you're a six foot tall you know blonde haired blue eyed light skinned alien you might be able to fit in a little better than a seven foot tall yeah that would be that would catch a little bit more attention (laughs) They have a height restriction on who can go out, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, uh, what was the guy's name? The co-ed killer? Gosh, he was like six foot nine. And he wanted to be a state trooper, you know, before he went on to his killing spree. And uh, they're like, you're too tall. You, you won't fit in the cruiser, right? So, I mean, I guess they have this same thing with the Nordic aliens. Like, sorry, you know, whatever your name is. Uh, You don't get to go out because you're seven foot tall and people are going to try and make you play on their basketball team. I don't know. What else do you think about Nordics? Do you think they're here for the good or do you think they're a wolf in sheep's clothing? It seems like they are. I mean, the encounters that I've read about them, they, you know, they're usually interacting with people more, whereas... Mm -hmm. When you get interactions with the greys in particular, because these two are the most common in what I've read. Right. You know, the Nordics tend to be more the type to explain why they're there, like talk to you, maybe show you something of their ship or like explain why they're there. Like whether it's true or not, you know, it could be total bullshit Mm. why they're there. Like, oh, we're here. We're here for we're (laughs) we're here to abduct away the hate. Or whatever yeah. I heard another podcaster say one time. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, you know, in comparison, the greys are significantly more alien. Right. You know, Cannot I mean, fit in. Not everybody looks Aryan on Earth, but mm-hmm. an Aryan-looking alien looks human. So any type of person mm-hmm. would probably be somewhat more comfortable and feel slightly more connected. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a good point. Yeah, then a gray. And I mean, and there's theories that grays, the small grays are like drones anyway, that they're not mm-hmm. really like intelligent or at least like self-aware decision-making yeah. kind of creatures. And that's the tall ones that are usually with them that are kind of in charge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those are the little ones are like the awesome robots of, of the gray <laughs> kind of society. Uh, well, let's. Let's look at what we have here on Earth, because that's really all we have to compare this to. We can't say, well, and, you know, planet BJF69321, this is how things are done. Mm -hmm. But here we can say, okay, well, what happens when we explore? Sometimes it is trophy hunters, right? Just like Predator. They come, you know, they come in and they want to kill a giraffe for some reason. And then you have people that come in and they want to tag wildlife and they want to study it and they want to, you know, find out everything they can about it, dissect things, stuff like that. And then you also have people that are more like, uh, oh, was it Diane Fossey and uh, Jane Goodall? They weren't, you know, conducting autopsies or necropsies i guess it's called on animals um they were there more as ambassadors like these creatures are special we it's in our best interest to preserve their you know their natural ways of life Mm -hmm. so in theory 
you would have at least those three types of visitors, yeah. right? So maybe the Nordics are the ones that are there to try to uh, be an ambassador and say, listen, you guys are doing this wrong. You're going to, you know, blow everything up or, or whatever. But uh, getting into a kind of a scarier one, do you want to move on? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So next up are the reptilians. Reptilian humanoids or anthropomorphic reptiles, you know, kind of think the Gorn from old Star Trek, are fictional creatures that appear in folklore, fiction, and conspiracy theories. In South Asian and Southeast Asian mythology, the Naga, or is that how you would say that? So the Naga in Hindu, or, or I mean, I guess we're saying Southeast Asian mythology, so... Um, it's not necessarily Hindu. This would also, you know, include like um, Thailand and places like that. But the Naga that I'm aware of is really, it's like a blue humanoid type creature that if you can picture like Slenderman has the tendrils that come out of his back, right? Well, the Naga has cobras, like a bunch of cobras. So, creepy. The Naga are semi-divine creatures which are half human and half serpent. Claims of sightings of reptilian creatures occur in the southern United States where swamps are common. In the late 1980s, there were hundreds of supposed sightings of a lizard man in Bishopville, South Carolina. Yeah. For me, if we're talking about reptilian, I think that we're getting into are these reptilian type creatures basically able to put a skin suit on and look human? Uh, so, so there's a lot of people that believe that. And I think we'll get into that in a bit here. But in my opinion, when we're talking about like our leaders as being lizard people, I don't think that they're actually lizards that are putting on, you know, a meat sack suit. I, I think that, at least for me, it's like, no, they only care about their... Cold. Yeah, cold-blooded. Exactly. Like, they just do not give a shit about anything but themselves. But you can keep going. So, in fiction, or in writing, because maybe this isn't fiction, they are... Uh, Anthropomorphic reptilian races or beings commonly appear in fantasy and science fiction. Again, could be kind of a realistic aspect of those, depending on what we find out is real. Uh, they can right. be based on various reptiles like lizards, crocodiles, alligators, snakes, dinosaurs, and fictional dragons. Uh, it's always been fast. Like one of the strangest things that I realized as a kid was there are dragons in pretty much every disparate culture on Earth. Fact. It's really, like, it's weird to think, like, it's not, it's not weird to think about now, because mm -hmm. we all have a phone or something with the internet in our pockets, but, mm -hmm. like, back then, it's like, well, why did cultures in, like, why did Native American cultures have things that looked like dragons, while people in China had things that looked like dragons, while people in Britain had things that looked like dragons, <laughs> like they they were not communicating these ideas there wasn't somebody who's was like oh that's badass we're going to make our own version right or it's unlikely 
It's unlikely. Yeah, I mean, there could be, and I think that, you know, as history unravels, if they actually let us know the truth, we'll find that there were world travelers, you know, Mm -hmm. a long time ago, way before what you learned in second grade. Yeah. But I do think it's also interesting that a lot of these cultures, like, like you said, yes, they all have dragon-like species, but a lot of them have kind of a flying reptilian human alien being, if that makes sense. I, I know that's a lot to like, you know, ball into one thing, but you know, a lot of them have these, like we talked about with the Naga, like we see, especially in like Central and South American native cultures where they have these, you know, flying reptile humanoids and they are, you know, more or less referred to as gods. We see it in Egypt. We see it in so many places that it's not just the lizard dragons. It's the, are the, you know, the dragon lizards. It's people that are, you know, part flying serpent too. So... I don't know. There's a lot of smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. One of the things you could look up is the Piasaw bird. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of our topics before. But we that's, did a whole that's, episode, Brian. How yeah. could you forget? <clears throat> well, I didn't forget. I just didn't remember if it was like a short after party or whatever, but that's yeah. pretty dragon-like. Mm-hmm. All right. These reptilians are often depicted as powerful warriors, though their relative intelligence to humans varies. As with other anthropomorphic races, a greater resemblance to humans often denotes more civilized behavior. Some anthropomorphic reptilians, such as lizards and snakes, are often associated with jungles, swamps, and other tropical biomes, and as such are seen with cultural elements of similar regions, including Mesoamerican cultures. Examples of reptilian races in fantasy games are the lizard men from Warhammer, as well as lizard folk, dragonborn, and kobolds of the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. I absolutely love lizard folk. <laughs> it is so perfect because it is like meshing this forward alien species with a way to refer to people that's far outdated right so it's just it's the yin and yang of a word lizard folk yeah yeah i like that too somebody from like appalachia would go to washington (laughs) dc and be like look at all these lizard folk that's right (laughs) and i also keep thinking about have you ever seen the venture brothers yeah okay there was one where i think it's a custody battle between brock and the father for the kids Mm -hmm. and they're calling all these villains that they faced as like witnesses to show who was the father figure Mm -hmm. (laughs) and for one of them it's like a generic like guy in a diving suit it's like a green scale diving suit Mm mm-hmm the judge is like state your, state your first name last name and occupation he's like lizard man lizard man and uh lizard man <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff well we'll tell you about the reptilian conspiracy theory after a quick break
Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The idea of reptilians was popularized by David Icke, a truther who claimed shape-shifting reptilian aliens control Earth by taking on human form and gaining political power to manipulate human societies. I'm not saying conspiracy theorist in these things anymore. I'm just saying truther or, you know, conspiracy, this conspiracy, not this conspiracy theory because I'm just done with it. It's out of my lexicon now. Ike has stated on multiple occasions that many world leaders are or are possessed by so-called reptilians. While most truthers believe there are lizard people, it's a term to describe the coldness of our politicians. Ike believed they were actually reptilian. Alright, so we're getting into the origins of the reptilians now. Michael Barkin Professor of Political Science at Syracuse University posits that the idea of a reptilian conspiracy originated in the fiction of Conan the Barbarian creator Robert E. Howard in his story The Shadow Kingdom, published in Weird Tales in August 1929. And I like that, The Shadow Kingdom. That's a cool name. This story drew on theosophical ideas of the lost worlds of Atlantis and Lemuria, particularly Helena Blavatsky's The Secret Doctrine, written in 1888, with its reference to, quote, dragon men who once had a mighty civilization on a Lemurian continent. Hey, maybe she's talking about outside the uh, ice wall. You know, we don't know how many continents are out there. But you laugh, I'm serious. So just, just so our listeners know. Howard's serpent men were described as humanoids with human bodies and snake heads who were able to imitate humans at will and who lived in underground passages and used their shape-changing and mind-control abilities to infiltrate humanity. Clark Ashton Smith used Howard's serpent men in his stories as well as themes from H.P. Lovecraft and he, Howard, and Lovecraft together laid the basis for the Cthulhu mythos. In the 1940s, Marie Storial wrote a pamphlet entitled Mysteries of the Gobi that described a serpent race with bodies like man, but heads like a great snake, and the ability to take human form. These creatures also appeared in Doriel's poem, The Emerald Tablets, in which he referred to emerald tablets written by Thoth, an Atlantean priest king. And you might recognize the name Thoth from uh, Egyptian mythology as well. Barkin asserts that, in all likelihood, Doriel's ideas came from the Shadow Kingdom and that, in turn, the Emerald Tablets formed the basis for David Icke's book, Children of the Matrix. Historian Edward Guimont has argued that the reptilian conspiracy theory, particularly as expounded by Icke, drew from earlier pseudo-historical legends developed during the colonization of Africa, particularly surrounding Great Zimbabwe and the Mokele Mbembe. And we will do at least a partial episode on Mokele and Bembe. And Mokele and Bembe is basically like a small brontosaurus that's being seen in African countries in rivers. And I think Mokele and Bembe actually translates to he who stops the flow of rivers or something along those lines. All right, let's jump into alien abductions. And you know, we've we've done some shows on that. We'll do some more shows on particular cases and stuff. So this is just kind of an overview on some of that. Sure, sure. Alien abduction narratives sometimes allege contact with reptilian creatures. 
One of the earliest reports was that of Ashland, Nebraska police officer Herbert Shermer. Ooh, that's a satisfying name to say. If you're listening, you should just stop and say Herbert Shermer. <laughs> well, when I had to say Guimon, I had to check ahead real quick and see if I had to say his name a bunch of times. Because <laughs> it was going to be a lot simpler if I had to repeat it 20 times. <laughs> Uh, anyway, under hypnosis, this officer recalled being taken aboard a UFO in 1967 by humanoid beings with a slightly reptilian appearance who wore a winged serpent emblem on the left side of their chests. According to British truther David Icke, who first published on this theme in his 1999 work, The Biggest Secret, tall, blood-drinking, shape-shifting reptilian humanoids from the Alpha Draconis star system now hiding in underground bases are the force behind a worldwide conspiracy against humanity. He contends that most of the world's ancient and modern leaders are related to these reptilians, including the Merovingian dynasty, the Rothschilds, that one I can believe, the Bush family, and the British royal family. Ike's conspiracy theories now have supporters in up to 47 countries, and he has given lectures to crowds of up to 6,000 people. American writer Vicky Santolano included Ike's conspiracy theory in her list of the 10 most popular conspiracy theories. A poll of Americans in 2013 by public policy polling indicated that 4% of registered voters believe in David Icke's ideas. So that's not very many, but that's still a lot. Yeah. Man, I saw this commercial for this guy running for like governor of Tennessee. But this guy's like, yeah, if you vote for me, I'll make the flag fly straighter than it ever has. You put me in office and I'll do my issues. I will plant vegetation on lots that are abandoned. He spelled vegetation wrong in his commercial. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. Like I was rolling watching this guy. He got 5,000 votes. 5,000 votes. Now, I guess I should be clear. You know, I talked about that I'm not going to put conspiracy theory in these notes anymore. I'm just going to put conspiracy. I'm not going to put conspiracy theorist. I might put truther. Just because someone is a truther doesn't mean that we believe or support in all the issues that that person is pushing forward. Just think of it as a way to describe kind of an alternative thinking person who maybe... David Icke believes everything he's saying. Maybe it is a way to make a living. I don't know. But when I say truther, I'm just kind of, I guess, saying that it's a person who has alternative theories. Does that mm. does that fit? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I don't know. I'm thinking of like the one guy from Always Sunny. With the with the conspiracy theory board and all that, that meme of him pointing at it. but And I think that's what most people think of. But in a lot of these cases, we're talking about people who claim to have experienced these things firsthand. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about, you know, like Betty and Barney Hill and the stuff that they've reported. I mean, a lot of that stuff, if it wasn't for that case being so famous, would be called like some kind of conspiracy theory. Or Absolutely. could be. Could be. Or the Roswell. I mean, Roswell, people talk about Roswell, but they don't necessarily call it a conspiracy theory anymore, mm -hmm. but falls in the same category, really. Yeah. I mean, we just talk about conspiracy theory being a thought canceling phrase, and mm -hmm. I don't want to cancel people's thoughts. I want to critique what we're talking about, hence the name cryptique, 
and I want to try and do it from a uh, in good humor, but but also from a non-judgmental perspective. Yeah. Because so let's just say, for example, hypothetically, <laughs> let's just say that David Ike believes everything that he's saying. If he does, I don't want to like cut him down. You know what I mean? It takes a, if, if you believe this, yeah, it takes a lot of balls to come out and say this it, it, unless you're just strictly doing it to try and sell a book. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you see that that's always been one of my biggest problems with certain people like Alex Jones. Mhm. Like, I don't believe that he believes what he's saying. Not everything. No, yeah, I mean, I think there's stuff in there that's, I don't know, when he's talking about, like, chemicals in the water and stuff like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's chemicals in the water. We've talked about that. Yeah. But, like, to to be screaming about being angry that they're putting chemicals in the water that are turning the freaking frogs gay, Mm -hmm. as he has put it, is hilarious. I never heard that one. Oh my god, it became a huge meme. People even made like, like remixed it into music where he's yelling about turning the frogs gay. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much of what he does. It's like, if you're into it for the entertainment value, that's whatever. Yeah. But like, I don't believe that he believes a lot of this stuff. I think maybe he takes things that are nuggets of truth and then like pushes it out into this theory or this this idea that he can make like funny and kind of scary at the same time to, mm-hmm. to, to hook people mm-hmm. it's just i mean and it's really very similar to what a lot of news stations do like absolutely years and years ago there was this thing on on fox news where they were talking about it was some like big fat politician who was like they're trying to ban hamburgers and he like takes a big bite of a hamburger in front of the press mm-hmm. and i was like okay what what is this so i looked like they had the the law like the bill or whatever mm-hmm. listed on screen so i quickly wrote it down and then i looked it up later and it was some like really generic law that was mm-hmm. going to you know it's like you're going to have to pay 11 percent tax instead of 10 percent tax for this particular chemical that's used in cattle farming mm-hmm. and it was just super Nothing that anybody would care about except cattle farmers. And the best way to get people's attention would be like, we can't afford to make hamburgers. Democrats are trying to get rid of hamburgers. Well, you know, there's something to be said for that. I mean, my dad was a lifetime or is still a lifetime smoker. And he's pissed about having to pay all these extra taxes on it. And he's like, you know, they they charge all these extra taxes and say it's bad for you, but you can have a 1700 calorie, you know, 98 grams of fat quarter pounder. And I don't know if those numbers are accurate. They are not. I'm just throwing it out there (laughs) that you can, you can eat however you want. You can put any kind of shit into your body that you want. And it's, you know, it's not taxed. And, you know, I, I mean, it's been proven that smoking's horrible for you. But it's kind of also been proven that McDonald's is horrible for you. Yeah, well, I mean, you can make the argument that smoking is also bad for the people around you. You don't get secondhand fat from being around somebody who's eating two triple cheeseburgers every day. Uh, I don't know. The fat might shed. <laughs> no, but you are you are right about the cigarette thing. I was amazed by that. 
I haven't bought cigarettes since I was in like college mm-hmm. and it was two or three bucks a pack. Mm-hmm. I got a buddy who lives in Japan and when he was here a couple months ago, he went and bought, what is it that he gets? American spirits or something like that, which I think are kind of a more expensive brand anyway. Uh-huh. And they were like 10, 11 yeah. bucks yeah. per pack. And I bet there are a lot of people listening who are like, oh my God, those are like 15 where I'm at. Yeah. Or there are probably some parts of the country where they're still five bucks. I don't know. Yeah. There was a time too, trust the science, when science told us cigarettes really weren't that bad. And they even had ratings on these are the healthiest, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah, you kind of lost me on that one when you say trust the science. But jumping back into politics. Okay. <laughs> Evil reptilian kitten eater from another planet was a pejorative referring to then Ontario Liberal Party opposition leader Dalton McGuinty in a press release disseminated by the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario in 2003 during the provincial election campaign in Ontario, Canada. In the closely fought 2008 U.S. Senate election in Minnesota between comedian and commentator Al Franken and incumbent Senator Norm Coleman, One of the ballots challenged by Coleman included a vote for Franken with lizard people written in the space provided for writing candidates. Lucas Davenport, who later claimed to have written the gag ballot, said, I don't know if you've heard the conspiracy theory about lizard men. A friend of mine, we didn't like the candidates, so we were at first going to write in revolution because we thought that was good and to the point. And then we thought the lizard people would be even funnier. In February 2011, on the Opie and Anthony radio show, the comedian Louis C.K. jokingly asked former U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld several times if he and Dick Cheney were lizard people who enjoyed the taste of human flesh. Amused by Rumsfeld's refusal to directly answer the question, C.K. suggested it is a possible admission of guilt. He went on to further muse that perhaps those who are lizard people cannot lie about it when asked if they are lizards. (laughs) They must either avoid answering the question or say yes. Evil reptilian <laughs> kitten eater from another planet. That's harsh, man. It's pretty harsh. It's really good, though. I really, I really like that. Now, this was in 2003. Are we going to start seeing this soon where, you know, somebody just drops in like, well, my opponent, blah, 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 blah. I don't agree with this new tax bill. He's going to you know, target this section of businesses. And yeah, he's also a kitten eater. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I would kind of enjoy that a little bit. I mean, I think part of what was fun about Trump running, I mean, even just the rumors that Trump was going to run from, you know, like eight years earlier Mm -hmm. was how different it was, how informal it was. How it wasn't yeah. just a politician like talking a whole bunch, just absolutely nothing. It was Trump just spewing madness. Yeah. And a lot of it and like making wild accusations. And it was just, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little bit, I want like, like, please, can we just elect any like functioning adult? Mm-hmm. Like, nobody who has cocaine problems. Maybe <laughs> nobody who's been accused of a bunch of crimes or anything like that. I mean, I know that would wipe out most of the politicians. Right. But- Maybe someone that doesn't have 71 suicides associated with them. <laughs> yeah. So it's like maybe 
yeah, I don't know. Like, partially, I just want it to be boring, where it's like, all right, just let politicians do their thing. But I also, I think it would be pretty funny. <laughs> but is it getting to a point where we're seeing this AI? You know, it's getting smarter and smarter. And I saw a thing that said that, uh, I guess it was, it may have been the original chat GPT that was solving 98% of complicated math problems correctly is now functioning at a 2% level. Yeah, it's GPT-4 is doing that. And there's, like, I mean, basically the idea is the more it's interacting with people, the dumber it's getting. (laughs) Well, are we getting to a point where we're being kind of corralled or uh, bottlenecked into this stance of no political leader is competent. It has to be AI. We'll tell you about the Grays after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The famous gray aliens, probably the most known, I think. When you when you say the word alien, you get a picture in your head if you're one of those people that can get a picture in your head. If you're not, sorry, uh, you think of a gray alien, right? Mm-hmm. Spindly body, short, little, skinny, with a big head and some big eyes. Gray aliens, also referred to as Zeta Reticulans, Roswell Grays, or Grays, and you can spell it with an E or an A, you know, however you prefer, are purported extraterrestrial beings. They are frequent subjects of close encounters and alien abduction claims. The details of such claims vary widely. However, Grays are typically described as being human-like, with small bodies, smooth gray-colored skin, enlarged hairless heads, and large black eyes. The Barney and Betty Hill abduction claim, which purportedly took place in New Hampshire in 1961, popularized gray aliens. We have a whole episode on Betty and Barney Hill you can go back and listen to. Precursor figures have been described in science fiction and similar descriptions appeared in early accounts of the 1948 Aztec UFO hoax and later accounts of the 1947 Roswell UFO incident. The Great Alien has emerged as an archetypal image of an intelligent non-human creature and extraterrestrial life in general, as well as an iconic trope of pop culture in the age of space exploration. Tell us a little bit more about their appearance. Sure. Grays are typically depicted as gray-skinned, diminutive humanoid beings that possess reduced forms of or completely lack external human body parts, such as noses, ears, or sex organs. Their bodies are usually depicted as being elongated, having a small chest, and lacking in muscular definition and visible skeletal structure. Their legs are depicted as being shorter and jointed differently from humans with limbs proportionally different from a human. Greys are depicted as having unusually large heads in proportion to their bodies with no hair on the body and no noticeable outer ears or noses, sometimes with small openings or orifices for ears, nostrils, and mouths. 
Yeah, you usually hear, you know, the mouth was kind of like a gash in the face. Slit, yeah. Yeah. In drawings, greys are almost always shown with very large, opaque black eyes. They're frequently described as shorter than average adult humans. Now, the greys, I think, are also associated with screen memories in some cases in a way that people can tell that what they're remembering is a screen memory or is usually the large black eyes, like just mm-hmm. solidly black. What, what do you mean by screen memory? Yeah, it's the fourth kind from 2009, which is, yeah, it's about supposedly a true story or inspired by a true story or mixing in like real mm-hmm. footage and recordings. But it starts off with this person going to a therapist and having like a hypnotic regression kind of session because they keep seeing these like large owls mm-hmm. watching them and they find that it's a screen memory. It's something that you're remembering in place of whatever really happened, you know, an abduction or some kind of alien interaction or whatever. It's like you're blocking it out. Yeah, but it seemed the block seems to be put there by the grace or whatever else did it. Gotcha. And I think I've told you about this. My dog, Curly, Mm -hmm. I did not give him that name. He's (laughs) he's one that we took in because he was going to be put down. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, there are nights where I'll get up and go to the bathroom and I won't bother shutting the door and I'll look down the hall and he's, you know, gotten up because he heard me and he's standing there and it's just these dark unblinking eyes watching me <laughs> pee or wash my hands or whatever. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're freaking me out. And he just stands there looking. It's like, are you, are you a screen memory? Like what is happening right now? <laughs> he's so, he's so weird. He'll just like sit there and stare at you sometimes. And it's creepy in the middle of the night. Anyway, it's a great movie though. It's a good, yeah, it's a good movie. It's one where Kim was so scared by it. Like, she was like, I'll watch a horror movie with you. I think I've told you the story before. Mm-hmm. She was like, I'll watch one horror movie with you. So I, we watched that. And she was freaked out for, like, months. And now she will never watch another horror movie with you. No, she will not watch anything with me. When we were watching horror movies, like, for this, she wouldn't watch anything with me. Or she watched, like, maybe a couple minutes and then was like, all right, I'm out. So yeah, should we it, should we give him a spoiler alert about the movie? If you're going to say something about it, sure. It's not. It wasn't a super popular movie. It's even though it's no. 14 years old. It's it's one that I think kind of came and went without a lot of people really knowing about it. I think that it has a lot of respect in the world of people who frequent like horror movies and stuff, though. So. So here's a spoiler alert, just so you know that we know what we're talking about a little bit. Uh, So fast forward about 15, you you can fast forward 30 seconds and you'll get past the spoiler. But basically, it's all fake. There's no actual videos of any true sessions by anybody. It is filmed in a way to make it look like there's actual footage when there's really not but it's done masterfully in my opinion Mm. spoiler alert over so do we want to move on to the uh, association with zeta reticuli sure now that i've deflated let's do it okay all right let's talk about the association with zeta reticuli 
The association between gray aliens and Zeta Reticuli originated with the interpretation of a map drawn by Betty Hill by a school teacher named Marjorie Fish sometime in 1969. Betty Hill, under hypnosis, had claimed to have been shown a map that displayed the aliens' home system and nearby stars. Upon learning of this, Fish attempted to create a model from a drawing produced by Hill, eventually determining that the stars marked as the aliens' home were Zeta Reticuli, a binary star system. And once again, if you want to know anything about it, just go back and check out our Betty and Barney Hill episode. It's one of our most popular ones, and it's it will give you a whole background on all this. So, all right. Tell us about the origins. The origins of the gray alien may go back to the late 19th century. In 1891, the novel Mita, A Tale of the Future, was published by Kenneth Fallingsby in which the narrator encountered small, gray-skinned aliens with balloon-shaped heads. In 1893, H.G. Wells presented a description of humanity's future appearance in the article The Man of the Year Million, describing humans as having no mouths, noses, or hair, and with large heads. In 1895, Wells also depicted the Eloi, a successor species to humanity, in similar terms in the novel The Time Machine, which I do remember that. As early as 1917, the occultist Aleister Crowley described a meeting with a preternatural entity named Lamb or Lom that was similar in appearance to a modern gray. Crowley believed he had contacted the entity through a process that he called the Amalantra workings, which I've never heard of before. Sounds good. Which he thought allowed humans to contact beings from outer space and across dimensions. Other occultists and ufologists, many of whom have retroactively linked Lom to later gray encounters, have since described their own visitations from him, with one describing the being as a cold, computer-like intelligence, and utterly beyond human comprehension. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek original series lately, Mm -hmm. and there's like the end of one episode where I think it it wound up being like the main antagonist for the whole thing wound up being like a computer. Uh Uh-huh. That was set up to do something, you know, thousands of years ago. Tends to be stuff like that a lot. And towards towards the end, they're kind of talking about it. And Kirk is like, Mr. Spock, you would have made an excellent computer. And Spock is like, Captain, what a kind thing to say. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Anyway. All right, going on with the Crowley yes. quote. Going back, yes, going back to the quote. The creatures did not resemble any race of humans. They were short, shorter than the average Japanese, and their heads were big and bald. One sympathizes. This is me talking, not the <laughs> quote. With strong, square foreheads and very small noses and mouths and weak chins. What was most extraordinary about them were the eyes. Large, dark, gleaming with a sharp gaze. They wore clothes made of soft gray fabric, and their limbs seemed to be similar to those of humans. In 1933, the Swedish novelist Gustav Sandgren, using the pen name Gabriel Lind, published a science fiction novel called The Unknown Danger, in which he describes a race of extraterrestrials who wore clothes made of soft gray fabric and were short with big bald heads and large, dark, gleaming eyes. The novel aimed at young readers included illustrations of imagined aliens, this description would become the template upon which the popular image of Greys is based today. After the Hills encounter, Greys would go on to become an integral part of ufology and other extraterrestrial-related folklore. 
This is particularly true in the case of the United States. According to journalist C.D.B. Bryan, 73% of all reported alien encounters in the United States describe gray aliens, a significantly higher proportion than other countries. And actually, my aunt and uncle used to live in Roswell. Mm -hmm. And there was even a little gray alien like comic book series. Mm -hmm. And it was the only place I ever saw them. I mean, I'm sure if there was like the internet back then, they would have gotten around, but I would pick up issues of that one when we visited. <laughs> but they were definitely, they were grays. It's just, they had them as green. I would think that it would make sense that these alien visitors, you know, of whatever race would probably be likely to focus on the United States and focus on China and maybe Russia. I mean, I, I don't know if Russia is really a world power. You know what I mean? Like, they've got some stuff. They'd focus on the ones with the most weaponry, I would imagine. Yeah. Most technology. During the early 1980s, Grays were linked to the alleged crash landing of a flying saucer in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Several publications contained statements from individuals who claimed to have seen the U.S. military handling several unusually proportioned bald child-sized beings. And there was a guy still back like in the early 90s who was supposedly the coroner for the town. Like we talked to this guy and he mm. said he was an older, obviously old back then, but he was telling the story that, you know, they prepared child sized coffins for this. Mm -hmm. Now, it's totally possible that we could find out that the real coroner was dead by the 90s. Yeah. But there was a person claiming you know, that they were involved in it and they made these child-sized coffins at the request of the military. So what do you think about the uh, alien autopsy video? Do you think there's any chance that any of it's real or is it just all fake? I don't know. I would honestly have to watch it again. It's been a long time. I remember there being things that convinced me, but more that made me think it was fake. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, and I've know. never seen a real autopsy, so I don't know, you know, how it goes, has, yeah. you know, how the body reacts or anything like that. But anyway, that's well, kind for of me, point. it's like looking at the film of it because mm -hmm. I've seen quite a bit of like eight millimeter film, which mm -hmm. is not that common to have seen nowadays, you know. Mm -hmm. So I know what like a normal sort of home movie kind of thing looks like. Uh, and I remember there being some things where it just didn't really add up to me, but it could have been part of like digitizing this old film. Because when I mm -hmm. when I watch them, I don't watch them by digitizing them and seeing them on a computer. I put them on a projector. Ah, look at you, Mr. Fancy. <laughs> well, it wasn't for me. It was for family, family oh, and you. some old family friends who had a lot of these uh, old reels sitting around. I actually wound up having to 3D print reels so that huh. we could get these working because they they were missing like the take-up reels it was an yeah. interesting process that's awesome yeah that's for another episode though yep these individuals claimed during and after the incident that the beings had oversized heads and slanted eyes but scant other distinguishable facial features in 1987, novelist Whitley Strieber published the book communion which unlike his previous works was categorized as non-fiction and in which he describes a number of close encounters he alleges to have experienced with greys and other extraterrestrial beings. The book became a New York Times bestseller, and New Line Cinema released a 1989 film adaptation starring Christopher Walken as Streber. Who would you have play you 
in a movie. <laughs> Can I have a moment to think about it? Sure. I'm going Edward Norton for me. Or, you know what? I would be honored if Nicolas Cage would play me. I think I think if we were going based on appearance. Um, hey, I'm not going by appearance with... Uh... If we were going by appearance, <laughs> I would go with Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Because the way he looked when he was shaved as Kingpin in the Daredevil series on Netflix. All right. But as far as behavior, I don't really know, but I've been informed that I'm an unusual person. (laughs) So I would have to say uh, Willem Dafoe, like a young Willem Dafoe. There you go. Christopher Walken would be a great choice, though. If they said, hey, we're having Christopher Walken play you, I'd be like, hell yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Hopefully they wouldn't want to uh, be like, oh. No, it's going to you're going to be played by Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to this. In 1988, Christophe de interviewed the French science fiction writer and ufologist Jimmy Gu. I'm going to just say that. <laughs> Besides mentioning Majestic 12, Gu described the existence of what he called the Little Greys. Grace has since become the subject of many conspiracy theories. Uh, many truthers believe that the Greys represent part of a government-led disinformation or plausible deniability campaign, or that they are a product of government mind control experiments. In the 1990s, popular culture also began to increasingly link Grays to several military-industrial complex and New World Order conspiracy theories. In 1995, filmmaker Ray Santilli claimed to have obtained 22 reels of 16mm film that depicted the autopsy of a real gray supposedly recovered from the site of the 1947 incident in Roswell. In 2006, though, Santilli announced that the film was not original, but was instead a reconstruction created after the original film was found to have degraded. He maintained that a real gray had been found and autopsied on camera in 1947 and that the footage released to the public contained a percentage of that original footage. That's why I asked about what percent you think was real, because this is the exact way. If you're looking for a way to make sure that people do not believe you, this is the perfect way to do it. Hey, look, I've got it autopsy of a a real gray alien and and this was taken in 1947 in roswell and then it's like later i mean i know it was a you know a long time later it was 11 years but he's like well i mean that that's not the original film but it's a reconstruction and there were some things that were real shut the fuck up once you fake it no one's gonna believe you anymore just Mm -hmm. stop so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's just stupid. You know, you don't, you don't tell a lie and then come back later and say, well, I lied, but there was a certain percentage of truth weaved into it. And it is what happened. I just didn't want to say that's what happened and be honest about it. I wanted to see if I could convince people that what I made was real. And it's stupid. And this is the problem because... You know, people that are non-believers and people that have their eyes closed, they see this and they're like, oh, yeah, all the alien shit's fake. So shame on you, Santilli. All right, let's talk about close encounter claims and ufology. 
Greys are often involved in alien abduction claims. Among reports of alien encounters, greys make up about 50% in Australia, as we said 73% in the United States, 48% in continental Europe, and around 12% in the UK. These reports include two distinct groups of aliens that differ in height, which you brought up earlier. Abduction claims are often described as extremely traumatic, like an abduction by humans or even a sexual assault in the level of trauma and distress. And I, I think we talked about that in other episodes, but if this did happen to you, whether it's 100% real or it's 100% believed in a dream or something, the trauma would be awful. The emotional impact of perceived abductions can be as great as that of combat, sexual abuse, and other traumatic events. The eyes are often a focus of abduction claims, which often describe a gray staring into the eyes of an abductee when conducting mental procedures. This staring is claimed to induce hallucinogenic states or directly provoke different emotions. So these big eyes they're using to... It almost seems like hypnotize or control. I don't know. I know you want to get into the psychocultural expression of intelligence, so I'll let you get into that. You say that phrase so naturally. Neurologist Stephen Novella, great name, proposes that gray aliens are a byproduct of the human imagination, with the gray's most distinctive features representing everything that modern humans traditionally link with intelligence. In 2005, Frederick V. Malmstrom, <laughs> writing in Skeptic Magazine, presents his idea that greys are actually residual memories of early childhood development. Uh, Mr. M, let's say, <laughs> reconstructs the face of a grey through transformation of a mother's face based on our best understanding of early childhood sensation and perception. Uh, the study also offers another alternative to the existence of greys. The intense instinctive response many people experience when presented an image of a gray and the act of regression, hypnosis, and recovered memory therapy and recovering memories of alien abduction experiences along with their common themes. And you can go back to our Black Eyed Kids episode, which, uh, go easy on us. That was our, like our first real episode, I think. Uh, we talk about Black Eyed Kids being possibly related to the grays maybe a hybrid between a gray and a human or something that they're putting out to kind of experiment and see how they can interact with with humans so go back and check that episode out too you want to tell us about the evolutionary implausibility sure according to biologist jack cohen the typical image of a gray, assuming that it would have evolved from a world with different environmental and ecological conditions from Earth, is too physiologically similar to a human to be credible as a representation of an alien. The interdimensional hypothesis, the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, and the time-traveler hypothesis attempt to provide an alternative explanation to the humanoid anatomy and behavior of these alleged beings. So let's talk about that real quick. Um, pretty... We're just going to roll through this. Interdimensional hypothesis. So they're beings from Earth, just from a different dimension. Think of it as you're walking down the sidewalk and they are walking on the grass next to you, but you cannot see each other because you're in a, in a different dimension. It's just the easiest way to say it. It's still really, really hard to grasp. But So there's that 
hypothesis. The crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. So that would be that they are natural terrestrial beings and are basically cryptids, an undiscovered uh, race of some sort of physical being. Right? Am I am I hitting that right? Sounds good to me. In the uh, time traveler hypothesis. So that would be that greys are humans from the future that have come back. And that this is what we will look like in however many years. So, you know, we're not talking about 50 years, 100 years. We're probably talking about, you know, a thousand years or something like that. Okay, so just speaking from kind of a normal guy position we don't know how much evolution it would take for us to look like that so it could be you know a thousand years or it could be you know 150 if we start getting machines built into us and you know body parts grown in petri dishes and stuff like that so you never know all right. In pop culture, depictions of gray aliens have gone on to appear in several films and television shows supplanting the previous popular Little Green Men. As early as 1966, the superhero character Ultraman was explicitly based on them, and in 1977, they were featured in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Greys have also been worked into space opera and other interstellar settings. In Babylon 5, the greys are referred to as the Vri and are depicted as being allies and trade partners of the 23rd century Earth, while in the Stargate franchise they are called the Asgard and depicted as ancient astronauts. During the 1990s, plot lines wherein greys were linked to conspiracy theories became common. The X-Files, one of the greatest shows in the history of mankind, which first aired in 1993, combined the quest to find proof of the existence of grey-like extraterrestrials with several UFO conspiracy theory subplots to form its primary story arc. One of the things I love about the X-Files is that there are episodes that are just like single standing. It's a story that, you know, starts at minute one and ends at minute 43. So you can, you can go back and watch those, you know, separate episodes if you're not interested in the whole plot line. And personally, I like the ones that are just freestanding better, but I do too. Yeah. Well, because back then it was harder to watch them in sequence. Right. Yeah. If it you took you, one, you might... eight years to yeah. watch eight years of X-Files. <laughs> yeah. Now you could probably just roll through it and it would be a lot easier to follow. But anyway, the 2011 film Paul tells the story of a gray named Paul who attributes the Greys' frequent presence in science fiction pop culture to the U.S. government deliberately inserting the stereotypical Grey alien image into mainstream media. This is done so that if humanity encountered Paul's species, no immediate shock would occur as to their appearance. You do get desensitized. If you mm -hmm. watch nothing but horror films and... Every horror film has a horrific ghost. If you see the image of someone, you know, walking down a hall and disappearing when you're at a quote unquote haunted location, you're not going to be as shocked as someone who 
you know, has never seen anything like this. We talk about video games desensitizing people to violence, pornography desensitizing people to, you know, rape and molestation and stuff like that. So there is credence to the theory that it would desensitize us. Can't say for sure whether the government is, you know, pushing that or not, but in any case, yeah, seeing one often, even if it's just in dreams or film or whatever, would desensitize you to seeing one in real life. But we'll talk about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So we're going to talk real quick about the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, but we do have a whole episode on that one too, which is very interesting that you should go back and check out. But you want to tell us about the uh, Kelly Hopkinsville encounter? Sure. This was claimed as a close encounter with extraterrestrial beings in 1955 near the communities of Kelly and Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky in the U.S., We dedicated a whole episode to this, so you can go back and listen to it. Really interesting story. Ufologists regard it as one of the most significant and well-documented cases in the history of UFO incidents. While skeptics say the reports were due to the effects of excitement (laughs) and misidentification of natural phenomena such as meteors and owls. It sounds so old to say that, doesn't it? The effects of excitement. It's like, "Eh, he didn't see any aliens. He was suffering from the effects of excitement, see? Yeah, and then he, like, lifted his hat up and, like, rocked it back and forth. <laughs> yeah, busted out United- a pack of cigarettes in a <laughs> doctor's office and started smoking. Yeah. The United States Air Force classified the alleged incidents as, as a hoax in the Project Blue Book files. Psychologists have used the alleged incident as an academic example of pseudoscience to help students distinguish truth from fiction. So, on to the claims. On the evening of August 21st, 1955, five adults and seven children arrived at the Hopkinsville police station claiming that small alien creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse and that they had been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. Second Amendment for you. (laughs) Two of the adults, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed they had been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway or peered into the windows. Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens, four city police officers, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs, and four military police officers from the nearby United States Army Fort Campbell drove to the Sutton Farmhouse located near the town of Kelly in Christian County. Their search yielded nothing apart from the evidence of gunfire and holes in the windows and door screens made by firearms. The residents of the farmhouse included Glennie Lankford, her children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton, and John Charlie J.C. Sutton. Their respective wives, Vera and Aline, Aline's brother, O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor, and his wife, June. It's a whole lot of people in that house. Both the Taylors, Lucky and Vera Sutton, were reportedly traveling carnival workers who were visiting the farmhouse. 
The next day, neighbors told two officers that the families had packed up and left after claiming the creatures had returned about 3.30 in the morning. Want to tell us about the press coverage? Yes. The family's claims received widespread coverage in the local and national press. Early articles did not refer to, quote, little green men. The color was later added to some newspaper stories. So there's that. Estimates of the size of the alleged creatures varied from two to four feet in details such as large pointed ears, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and spindly legs later appeared in various media. We can keep going uh, with what some ufologists thought about it. You want to tell us about Jerome? For sure. Ufologist Jerome Clark writes that the supposed creatures floated through the trees and the sound of bullets striking them resembled bullets striking a metal bucket. Clark describes an odd luminous patch along the fence where one of the beings had been shot, and in the woods beyond, a green light whose source could not be determined. However, this description was consistent with foxfire, a bioluminescent fungus on decaying wood. Clark also wrote that investigations by police, Air Force officers from nearby Fort Campbell, and civilian ufologists found no evidence of a hoax. However, Brian Dunning reported, The claim that Air Force investigators showed up the next day at Mrs. Langford's house has been published a number of times by later authors, but I could find no corroborating evidence of this. Dunning also observed, The four military police who accompanied the police officers on the night of the event were from an army base, not an Air Force base. None of which makes this story untrue, by the way. Yeah, just one detail that's wrong out of the army of people who came (laughs) some of them were from a different base right and it's not that the victims of this you know attack if we'll call it that were they they're not responsible for what's reported in the paper you know what i mean they can't it's not them saying that it that they came from an air force base it's a paper misreporting it so you can't really use that as evidence that this is false. It's it's the same thing as saying, well, the paper said that they were green, so this can't be real. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I get what you mean. Loosely. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's along the same lines as like once you find out part of it's made up or fake, people want to dismiss the whole thing. Exactly. I think that's why they would be bringing that up. All right. Some ufologists compared the alleged creatures to gremlins, which have since been referred to as the Hopkinsville goblins in popular culture. Ufologist Alan Hendry wrote, This case is distinguished by its duration and also by the number of witnesses involved. Project Blue Book listed the case as a hoax with no further comment. As was Project Blue Book's goal. Everything's a hoax. There's, we talked about the uh, Levland, Texas UFO incident. Yeah, they they did an investigation. Project Blue Book came down to do an investigation of this alien spaceship that was reported by police officers and firemen and the sheriff. and, And they're like, well, we interviewed two people and it's a hoax. That's it. It's over. It's similar to the cocaine scandal, right? <laughs> uh, no, it didn't happen. All right. All right. Well, we will talk more about Little Green Men after a word from one of our sponsors.
Welcome back, Grip Keepers. Little Green Men. It's the stereotypical portrayal of extraterrestrials as little humanoid creatures with green skin and sometimes with antenna on their heads. The term is also sometimes used to describe gremlins, mythical creatures known for causing problems in airplanes and mechanical devices. Today, these creatures are more commonly associated with an alleged alien species called greys, whose skin is described as not green, but of course, grey. Usage of the term clearly predates the 1955 incident. For example, in England, reference to little green men or children dates back to the 12th century Green Children of Woolpit, which is a great story and we'll probably do an after party on it because it's not a real long story. But exactly when the term was first applied to extraterrestrial aliens has been difficult to pin down. In his historical satire, A History of New York, American author Washington Irving describes lunatics, or men from the moon, as pea green in contrast to the white inhabitants of Earth, and obviously there's plenty of different colors of inhabitants on Earth. Folklore researcher Chris Aubeck has used electronic searches of old newspapers and found several instances dating from around the turn of the 20th century referring to green aliens. Aubeck found one story from 1899 in the Atlanta Constitution about a little green-skinned alien in a tale called Green Boy from Hurrah. Hurrah being another planet, and it may be referring to Mars. Edgar Rice Burroughs referred to the green men of Mars and green Martian women in his first science fiction novel, A Princess of Mars, although at 10 to 12 feet tall, they were hardly little. However, the first use of the specific phrase, little green man, in reference to extraterrestrials that Aubeck found dates to 1908 in the Daily Kennebec Journal. In this case, the aliens again being Martians. Green aliens soon came to commonly portray extraterrestrials and adorn the covers of many of the 1920s to 1950s science fiction pulp magazines with pictures of Buck Rogers and Flash Gort battling green alien monsters. And when we're talking about the like the pulp magazines of the 20s to 50s, some of their stuff is really stupid and silly, but it's like its own genre of art too, right? Like some of the art, even though it's it's more comic book in nature, I think some of the art is really cool. Do you have any uh, comments on that? No, not really. Fair enough. The first documented print example specifically linking Little Green Men to extraterrestrial spaceships is in a newspaper column satirizing the public panic following Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds Halloween broadcast of October 31st, 1938. The column by reporter Bill Bernard in the Corpus Christi Times the next day begins. Thirteen little green men from Mercury stepped out of their spaceship at a local airport late yesterday afternoon for a goodwill visit to Corpus Christi and ends with, then... The 13 little green men got in their spaceship and flew away. The familiarity with which the term was used suggests that this probably was not the first instance where it was applied to extraterrestrials and spaceships. In 1946, Harold M. Sherman published a pulp science fiction book entitled The Green Man, A Visitor from Space. The cover illustration was of a normal-looking and proportioned human being, albeit 
with green skin. Nationally syndicated columns by humorist Hal Boyle spoke of green men from Mars and his flying saucer in early July 1947 during the height of the brand new flying saucer phenomenon in the U.S. that started June 24th after Kenneth Arnold's famous sighting and the Roswell UFO incident. In 1951, a science fiction book titled The Case of the Little Green Men was published by Mac Reynolds telling of a private detective hired to investigate disguised aliens living among the human population. That's actually a really good idea for a show, man. As he was being hired, the detective referred derisively and familiarly to the aliens and the flying saucers being little green men. Mac Reynolds would go on to write the first Star Trek novel in 1968, Mission to Horatius? Or let me do that like you. Mission to Horatius? 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 <laughs> By early 1950, stories began circulating in newspapers about little beans being recovered from flying saucer crashes. Though largely considered to be hoaxes, some of the stories from the sources about little aliens eventually made it into the popular 1950 book. Little Green Men was specifically used in reference to science fiction and flying saucers by at least 1951 in the New York Times and the Washington Post. In a later example following a nationally publicized flurry of UFO sightings in November 1957, syndicated Washington columnist Frederick Othman wrote, quote, New flying saucer epidemic on. All over this land again are flying saucers. No little green men have climbed out of these celestial vehicles so far, but in another couple of days, I wouldn't be surprised. Tell us about the origin and other uses. The term also shows up much earlier in other contexts. Film gossip columnist Hayda Hopper used it in 1939, referring to small cast members of The Wizard of Oz. In 1942, the Los Angeles Times used the term in a pictorial on Marines training for jungle combat. In this case, little green men referred to camouflaged Japanese soldiers. Before its more modern application to aliens, little green men was commonly used to describe various supernatural beings in old legends and folklore, and in later fairy tales and children's books, such as goblins. These examples illustrate that the use of little green men was already deeply ingrained in English vernacular long before the flying saucer era, used for a variety of supernatural, imaginary, or mythical beings. The Chicago Tribune in 1960 carried a front-page story on the speculations of Harvard anthropologists about how aliens might look and alien sex. The article opens with the comment, If there really are little green men out there in space, there are probably also little green women and sex. <laughs> filthy, filthy 1960s people. <laughs> a cartoon was attached showing two amorous, centaur-like male and female aliens with antennae sticking out of their heads. He said that's what the possible outer spacers are called among themselves. The term even penetrated the commentary of the Wall Street Journal. First use in the journal was in 1960 in an article on the Brookings Report commissioned by NASA, studying the possible social effects of the discovery of extraterrestrial life. The journal commented that they thought the report was overly pessimistic, assuming that the little green men with the wiggly antennae would be hostile. Of course. It'd be hard to take hostile, weakly little aliens <laughs> very seriously. Yeah. 
Another journal use of the term occurred in 1968 in an editorial on a planned congressional investigation of UFOs. The writer sarcastically asked how they planned to subpoena a little green man. In 1969, they commented that the Condon Committee UFO study commissioned by the Air Force was a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? So it's it's a waste of money that there may be alien invaders. It's a waste of money to investigate that. But we're going to spend trillions of dollars to hear what a black hole sounds like told you i'm not gonna leave that alone <laughs> all right go ahead the editorial stated that even if they did prove that ufos were filled with little green men what were we supposed to do about it however the 1960s also marked a transition in the way people imagined a stereotypical alien in alien abduction stories they are often small but gray beings and in arthur c clark's 2001 a space odyssey from 1968 they are unseen Little green aliens and the term little green men have fallen out of general use in serious science fiction circles and are commonly used to ridicule the notion that aliens may exist with a few exceptions, such as Yoda, our favorite little green man. A derisive usage can be seen in the original Star Trek episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday, as Captain Kirk, captured by the U.S. Air Force while attempting to steal films showing the Enterprise in Earth's atmosphere, calls himself a little green man from Alpha Centauri when interrogated by the base security officer. <laughs> and that's an episode I've seen. They accidentally go into the past, and then they realize that they're by Earth, so they're like, all right, let's go down to Earth and see what's going on. And then they're like, wait a minute, this is Earth from like 200 years ago. We gotta get out of here. Yeah. Earlier in the same episode, a rescued Air Force captain brought aboard the Enterprise tells Kirk he's never believed in little green men immediately before meeting the obviously alien Mr. Spock, who replies, neither have I. The little green alien image seems to have migrated mainly to the world of children's media where it can still be found in abundance. When I think of little green men, I think of uh, like the great kazoo from the Flintstones. Exactly. I, I mean, that's... I think that's the most stereotypical Perfect. little green man you can you can get. But what about rods? You never talked about rods. Find out after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Uh, so yeah, what are you talking about? What's a rod? A rod. So I don't, I'll give my final thoughts, I guess, afterwards. So a rod is an optical phenomenon. In cryptozoology and ufology, rods, also known as skyfish, air rods, or solar entities, are elongated visual artifacts appearing in photographic images and video recordings. Most optical analysis to date has concluded that the images are insects moving across the frame as the photo is being captured. And do you, have you seen the videos of these? I'm going to say no. I've seen videos and images, but I'm not sure if they're exactly the ones that you're talking about. Okay, it's always a black background and the object is white or like light gray. And what they look like is like the blade or the bit of an auger 
right? How it's got okay. kind of that like circular, it's almost like a drill bit. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, we'll get into it, but that's basically what they look like. Or they may look like, um, like a pencil or something, just kind of like a, a line or a rod. <laughs> Robert Todd Carroll consulted with an entomologist named Doug Yanega, and they identified rods as images of flying insects recorded over several cycles of wing beating on video recording devices. We're getting into orb territory here, right? The insect captured on image several times while propelling itself forward gives the illusion of a single elongated rod-like body with bulges. A 2000 report by staff at the website The Straight Dope also explained rods as such phenomena, namely tricks of light which result from how primarily video images of flying insects are recorded and played back adding that investigators have shown the rod-like bodies to be a result of motion blur if the camera is shooting with relatively long exposure times. The claims of these being extraordinary creatures, possibly alien, have been advanced by either people with active imaginations or hoaxers. In 2005, China Central Television aired a two-part documentary about flying rods in China. It reported the events from May to June of the same year at Tangua Zengao Pharmaceutical Company in Tangua City, which debunked the flying rods, which, if, I mean, if we're looking at uh, Chinese media, they're so restricted. It's like you don't really take anything they say 100%, right? Because they basically, they just have to say whatever the panda tells them. <laughs> Surveillance cameras in the facility's compound captured video footage of flying rods identical to those shown in a video by, in kind of a famous video by Jose Escamilla. Getting no satisfactory answer to the phenomenon, curious scientists at the facility decided that they would try to solve the mystery by attempting to catch these airborne creatures and release them, causing a worldwide pandemic. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, huge nets were set up and the same surveillance cameras then captured images of rods flying into the trap. When the nets were inspected, the quote, rods were no more than regular moths and other ordinary flying insects. Subsequent investigations proved that the appearance of flying rods on video was an optical illusion created by the slower recording speed of the camera. After attending a lecture by Jose Escamilla, UFO investigator Robert Schaefer wrote that, quote, some of his rods were obviously insects zipping across the field at a high angular rate, and others appeared to be appendages, which were birds' wings blurred by the camera exposure. Picture this. You're watching Ghost Adventures, and you see an orb. Clearly, it's a piece of dust flying around, randomly reacting to, you know, air currents in the building or or whatever. And I hate to just slam the door shut on any kind of paranormal phenomenon, but in my humble cryptic opinion, these are very clearly insects flying through the screen. Mm -hmm. And there's a Monster Quest episode on it. I love Monster Quest. If you want to watch it, they were you do a show like Monster Quest 
and you get to like episode, you know, 59, 71, 78, you're like, fuck, what can we do now? Oh, this uh, rods, let's do rods. Fuck it. They'll watch it. You know, and (laughs) it's just like grasping at the very last thing that they can try and grasp at as far as a cryptid goes. But yeah, yeah, in my mind, 100% insects flying through the frame. But you want to tell us about some paranormal claims? One of the more outspoken proponents of rods as alien life forms was Jose Escamilla, who claimed to have been the first to film them on March 19th of 1994 in Roswell, New Mexico, while attempting to film a UFO. So, job well done, I guess. Escamilla later made additional videos and embarked on lecture tours to promote his claims. So here's the thing. Ryan is, say you're filming your backyard at night because your dog's acting silly or something, and you see one of these things fly across your screen. Sure. It's a clearly a bug. Yeah, it's usually going to be a bug. I I understand now what you know what this image is that we're talking about, and yeah, it's usually like they're saying a blurring because the uh, shutter time becomes longer when it's lower light that allows more smearing. Okay, well, I didn't know that 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 helps, I guess, perpetuate this in, in night videos, but. Uh, you find it in your backyard, you think, oh, clearly that's a moth. But I do understand how if you're filming, you know, at Area 51 and something you've never seen before flies across your screen, you might be like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's location, location, location. If I'm filming something in my house and an orb flies by, clearly it's dust. But... If I'm at Lemp Mansion, you know, and it's it's acting really weird, like a dust particle I've never seen, I would be, I think anyone would be more likely to be like, hmm, maybe there's something to that. But I just think that there's so much good video of these rods that I don't want to attack you know, Escamilla's character or say that he's hoaxing anyone because he may very well believe it. And I've never heard his uh, lecture. I I think that, you know, maybe watching a lecture, you might be able to pick up on some things, you know, body language, stuff like that. But in any case, I mean, and we never do this on Cryptique, but it's bugs. It's just bugs. (laughs) Sorry, Giorgio. (laughs) It's bugs. All right. You want, what are your final thoughts on these alien races? Did we did we forget one that you really want to mention? I mean, these are just kind of the, you know, popular ones here on good old planet Earth. Yeah, though. Yeah, those are the popular ones. I've heard of other ones. I've heard of like ant people and all mm-hmm. kinds of different, you know, strange races. But these are the more common ones and particularly the the, the Nordics and the Greys show up mm-hmm. a lot of places. Reptilians. Um, tend to be more, I don't know, depicted as like, uh, humans or dis- combat. Or well, no, like disguised combative. as human. Okay. I gotcha. See, when I see reptilian stuff, it's usually not the conspiracies that they are on earth and in disguise. It's more that they're, 
you know, out there and they're kind of more adversarial towards us. Mm-hmm. And maybe they work with the greys or they have something to do with them. And the greys are usually not depicted as being particularly friendly to us, but the Nordics are, mm-hmm. you know, presumably there's some kind of common lineage with them or something like that. Uh, but I don't know. I also, I kind of dig the theory of, you know, the greys being somehow related to us. Because one of the things that mm-hmm. we didn't mention when we talked about their appearance in Stargate is there's a whole storyline where the Greys need humans to help them basically reproduce. Mm-hmm. They need like our genetic code because they reveal, like they show, um, like basically cryogenically frozen members of their species that they found. Mm-hmm. You know, they send out this like ship at. Let, you know close to light speed mm-hmm. but it wasn't you know they couldn't travel as fast as they can now and they've been frozen and whatever and they've been traveling for like thousands of years and they encountered the ship and found it and got it which is wild to think about that you send out an expedition and you become so technologically advanced in the meantime that you're able to catch up to it and stop it yeah and these look like halfway in between the greys and humans. And they kind of reveal that they originally looked like humans and they evolved to a point, you know, through through evolution. And then they just stopped reproducing naturally. Yeah. And they started reproducing by cloning themselves and transferring their consciousness, you know, and it's like a copy of a copy. And they eventually the genetic code began to degrade. Mm-hmm. So I kind of buy that that could be the case. You know, I, I like the idea that that part of the reason why they're interested in us and that goes for a couple of these races mm-hmm. would be that we are somehow related to them mm. and they're sort of checking up on us. It, it could also be seen as a cautionary tale, right? Like, Hey, this is what happens if you start messing with all your DNA, mm. you know, you start injecting these different things into your body that mess with your DNA. And I, I, I'm not even getting into COVID shots or anything. I'm just, saying you know people are going to be taking elective dna changes eventually and we see in nature god's nature that hybrids rarely can reproduce if at all right i mean you cannot you cannot have two mules have a mule baby it it's not physically possible right mm-hmm ligers and whatever the other one would be tie on or something like that which is basically a hybrid between a lion and a tiger one having a a tiger mother one having a tiger father and you know obviously the opposite with the lions and they cannot reproduce so if we continue to mess with our dna yeah maybe we'll you know we'll accidentally shut off something that allows us to reproduce naturally. So it could be seen as a cautionary tale too. But, um, you know, you brought up the ant people and there's just like the insectoids seem to basically be uh, relegated only to science fiction. Like there's just not a lot of stories out there about people that were abducted that say, oh, they look like praying mantises you know but there is a story of the Hopi ant people I don't know maybe we should do a show on the Hopi ant people yeah I was about to say at least an after party we'll do that for the uh, after party this Thursday 
Uh, you got any final other final thoughts? No, no, not really. This was this felt uh, I don't know like a cozy episode. Yeah, it was kind of go back to yeah, just something more more basic cryptic stuff. It, it's good because I think then in future episodes people will know exactly what we mean when we refer to greys or Nordics or anything like that. So, but yeah, that's all I've got. You want to uh, tell them what they need to know? Yeah, as we always say at the end kind of repeat what we said at the beginning <laughs> please share us with somebody you think will like it let us know what you think about what we've said and what you'd like to hear in the future you can do that at crypticpodcast.gmail.com you can check us out on tiktok and youtube at cryptic podcast with an underscore for tiktok and without one for youtube and as always check out parabox at the link in the show notes and they used to tell us that uh subscriber subscribers were the best way to kind of spread the show but now i am hearing from other podcasts that the reviews actually do more to drive listeners to your show than just sharing so if you don't want to share maybe you know maybe we're your dirty little secret you don't want people to know that you're interested in ghosts and aliens and truthers and you know the paranormal and the occult and you know hidden history and forbidden knowledge and alternative archaeology maybe you don't want people to know that but you can write a review for us and you can do this right on your phone on the app just something sweet i love the show it's different every week um you know the guys are terrible at pronouncing words but it brings me joy you know anything like that would be a huge help so you know we even though it may not always seem like it we work really hard and we do a lot of digging this is a full-time job and we're not asking you for money we're just asking you to write a nice review so you know be a good crypt keeper and please do that for us That's all we've got for you tonight. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.